We The Peace is a podcast sponsored by PAX, dedicated to helping Christian leaders bring peacemaking and justice into our organizations. We explore how peacemaking, activism, and the justice of God are central to discipleship. We publish teachings for leaders, resources for learners, and host interviews with frontline faith leaders about various topics. Our aim is to love the church, and we want to help you become the peace of Jesus wherever you are. Welcome, everyone, to season three of We the Peace. This is episode three, Theology in the Global Village. After the first few episodes, we're going to be moving from the problem and kind of the crisis within Western theological spaces to more of the solution. In this season, we are looking to adopt a Jesus-centered theology. In the first episode, I created a foundation for the season with this line of logic. All humans have been made in the image of God. Christians are called to reflect the image of Jesus, our creator. Christians reflect Christ differently based on the culture that God has given us. Therefore, Christians from all over the world should reflect the image of Christ through their unique theological expressions. Theology that colonizes takes a theology from a part of the world and from a specific time and space and forces it on the rest of the world and says, this is your true north, this is objective, this is the science of God, just adopt it. And theology that liberates honors the spirit of God and image of God in all peoples. And this person is looking to learn from the global church and theologies from around the world. That's what we want. In episode two, we covered some questions related to theology. Like, what is it? How is it made? Who gets to make it? And who ends up guarding it? I define theology as the study of God, and I showed how it's dangerous at the least and wrong at the most to promote a specific theology without taking into account five factors. One, God, the Holy Spirit. Two, the writer's cultural vantage point. Three, historical context. Four, personal experience. And five, of course, scripture. In the last episode, I was using a reformed textbook called Basic Theology, and we shed light on huge blind spots that exist within majority culture spaces that get away with calling their theology basic or objective or scientific or systematic. And oftentimes the majority culture theologians are not discussing how their social location, socioeconomic status, how race is impacting their theology. And instead of a book being called Basic Theology, it came from a specific time and place. And it itself is local theology springing from a specific context, from a social crisis, and was developed out of a particular cultural moment. And learning that even Reformed theology is actually Swiss or German or Dutch early modern theology. And in that last episode, I claim that all theology, even theology of Luke or Paul or Ruth, is local, never divorced from the influence of those five factors. 
This episode is called Theology in the Global Village. So with my initial negative assessment of the Western theological landscape, what are we supposed to do about it? I painted a pretty difficult picture. What is our solution? So in order to develop a Jesus-centered theology, we have to bring our heart, leaders, church, and organization into the global village of Bible interpreters. This is the solution to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If all theology is local, then we must bring our local theology into conversation with other people groups, other nations, other tribes and tongues. This is what we mean by Jesus-centered theology. Let me open up with an analogy. There's a common word picture that originated in India used by agnostics and Hindus and even universalists uh, that has been used to describe God. Not describe Christianity, but God. And I'm going to explain this analogy, number one. And then second, I'm going to evolve it into one that represents the Christian worldview. Are you ready? Here we go. God is an elephant. This elephant is all grown up and it's huge. It's alive. The people of the world are spread out around the elephant and everyone around this creature is close enough that they are able to touch it, smell it, and hear this beautiful animal. But here's the catch in the classic analogy. Everyone is blind and therefore experience God the elephant without actually seeing what sort of animal it is. If you are near the trunk, then you will develop one mental image of the elephant as you are blind. Near the trunk, perhaps you experience God as moving and dynamic and friendly. If you're near the left back foot of the elephant, you would feel it and think that God is strong and makes the ground shake. You get the picture. If you're in the back, you're getting hit by the tail and might think God is something totally different than the person near the ears. So this analogy is meant to communicate that we all are experiencing God in different ways, but that no one person or cultural group understands God completely, which is why there are so many different religions. Being blind or having a blindfold on makes it impossible to know God fully. So that's the basic analogy. Now let me evolve this and change it to reflect a Christian worldview. God is like an elephant. And the nations of the world are spread around the elephant, and therefore we all experience God in different ways based on our own culture and nation and family. Everyone has a blindfold on. When a cultural group or person has been gifted the Holy Spirit after placing their faith in King Jesus, guess what happens? The blindfold comes off. So this is different than the original analogy. When your blindfold comes off, you immediately get a picture of who God is, yet in a partial way. You are only seeing the part of the elephant that you live by. Then you discover more by reading the Bible. It helps you understand the purpose of your life, the meaning of suffering, where humans come from, where we're going. Now that your blindfold is off, you have the Bible that helps you understand the elephant. 
kind of like a guide to understanding the elephant. And you are living in a local community of people that also understand God as you do. Eat the same food as you, speak the same language, have the same conceptions of of time and celebration, etc. Now that you can see the elephant, you begin to travel around it, looking at all sides. But by the way that other people live their lives around the elephant, you're realizing that that's actually pretty foreign to you. Even when you interact with other Christians around the elephant, something interesting begins to happen. The way that they interact with the elephant as followers of Jesus is both foreign and familiar. Because even though they also have their blindfolds off like you, they speak a different language, have different customs, and have a very different cultural story that impacts their life and perspective on God. So though God is not an elephant, God is big, massive, expansive, and a huge mystery. But we know that God is also a mystery revealed. We get to know God in the person and work of Christ revealed in God's story, the Bible. And the vastly different social, cultural, political, and economic situations also have a massive impact on how we get to know God through the development of theology. In the last episode, I claimed that all theology is local, and it is in this sense that I mean that theology is local. See, the nations are spread around the world, and we all experience and explain God differently. Even though we have a Bible, we share the Holy Spirit, we're a part of local churches, theology ends up being local to the part of the world where you are bound by a certain set of leaders, situation, history, crisis, economic setting, and culture. Jesus-centered theology honors the parts of God you have experienced, the part of the world you are from, and the way that your own culture interacts with God, the Holy Spirit, and the text of Scripture. This Jesus-centered theology liberates us to an expansive and beautiful picture of God and pushes us away from a uniform, one-dimensional, colonized view of God. So here is what majority culture theologians have done in the colonial era, this era that we still suffer from theologically now. So imagine the white folks are at the back leg of the elephant. They're, let's just call that Europe. Why not? They're in Europe. They all have names like Buck and Smith and Williams. They're all eating potatoes and showing up to dinner early. They're singing hymns and sipping tea at like 2 p.m. under the shade. 
trying to get all whiter than they already are because that's what you did back then. They live there and they are experiencing God a certain way, which is valid, and they are developing their local theology in Sweden or Germany or out of economic and religious crisis in the Western transition from the Dark Ages to modernity and the Enlightenment. This was the context of Reformed theology. They see the back leg of the elephant clearly. And they're reading their Bible. They don't have blindfolds on. They're also creating lots of guns and ships. They have the printing press. They are interested in exploring. And they feel quite enlightened about themselves. They decide that God told them in the Bible to inherit the land around the elephant. This is called the doctrine of discovery. Look it up. Then they get this other local theology, this twisted, sinister local theology that says Great Britain is recast as Israel to take over the world. They take their Bible in their English language with ships and guns and swords and take their culture and expand European territory around the world on behalf of Protestant and Catholic princes and queens and kings. They inherit the land of the world on behalf of the cross. This is the colonial era. They not only take over 90% of the land around the elephant, but they begin harvesting the land, enslaving the natives based on this sliding scale of race. And the Christians begin judging all of the other cultures around the elephant based off of their own local culture that is native to the back left of the elephant. They go around and say, if you want to know God, you have to know God like we know God at the back leg of the elephant. Your perceptions and experiences of God are invalid, are pagan. You have to understand God from a Western white colonial vantage point. White Jesus is the way. White Jesus is the truth. White Jesus is the life. And then my people arrive at the shores of North America. Go back and listen to episode one where I read from a history book about John Eliot forcing natives to abandon their own culture for a white Jesus, a whitewashed gospel to embrace theology that was not local to the natives. We must remember that Anglo-Saxon theology rode the colonial wave into the Americas as a foreign theology from Germany and Switzerland. Does that make it all wrong or incorrect? Not totally, but that's actually the wrong question we need to be asking. The question that we majority culture Christians should be asking is this, what kind of local theology allows for such violence, for slavery, for lynching, for the exploitation of the natives? What about my local theology that came from Europe rooted in the Reformation allows for these types of evils? Are you hearing me? What about... Western theology allows for untethered violence in colonialism. What about my people's local theology is not durable enough to reject settler violence? What about our theology allows us to dismiss 
this violence, to downplay this violence? Why do we act like we are so removed from Christians stealing land? Listen, I got some ideas, but I'm only beginning to unravel that web. So using the same analogy of the elephant, a Jesus-centered theology honors the global village of Christians who are located all around the elephant. We all bring our local theology into conversation with other people around the world. We know that while we do have the Bible, the Holy Spirit, a commitment to our King Jesus in common. The image of God in each part of the world will bring out a dynamic understanding of God, different interpretations, different theologies, all pointing to Jesus. One quick example, Eastern theology is embracing the mystery of God and accepting and celebrating that we don't have all the answers. And in Western theology, emphasizing what can be known about God and pushing into the darkness. And what about Theology from Africa and Latin America and the Middle East, Asia, remote islands to the far reaches of the world, we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ without imposing our theology and acting like it's the true north. And we ourselves can be liberated from a rigid and suffocating view of God that is one-dimensional by embracing the theological perspectives from within the global village of Christians. You know, for us white leaders, maybe you're listening to this, when we have a Bible study, when we hear a different story, when when we're learning from a different cultural perspective, from friends from a different ethnic background, we can't be like Elliot and force them through a white prism. We have to be like Jesus whose heart was open for the woman at the well, the woman about to be stoned, for Matthew, the tax collector, for Mary and Martha, and for the non-Jew, the ethnic outsider, us white people, those who have been grafted into the Jewish story and adopted into the Jewish narrative that is in the Bible. Jesus considered your culture worth redeeming. In this language, I'm speaking English. In this age that we are living, so while we are leading people in church spaces, in Christian spaces, in theological spaces, when we are sitting in a Bible discussion, is your heart open to having your theology altered? Are you open to being wrong about Jesus? Are you open to being wrong about what you think you know? Or do you consider your perspective more enlightened? than your brothers and sisters of other backgrounds and cultures? If so, if you have all the answers, you have all the books, you have all the systems, how are you any different than John Elliot passing a white-skinned, potato-eating Jesus to the natives? So if we are to honor theologies from around the world, this will create a bunch of questions. What if we develop theologies that are just way out there? What about historical theology and the lessons we can learn? What's the balance between redeeming our own local culture and let going of the dangerous parts when we're creating theology? What does that balance even look like? These are the important questions that come out of 
developing a global theology? How do we enter into conversation with one another in a wholesome way? So I want to give a few takeaways to get us started. And in a few of the last episodes of the season, I'm going to get even more practical. More than anything, we need to hear and see what other local theologies look like. So that's an important first step. We need to submit our heart to local theologies from around the world and consider our own theology local to somewhere. Okay. And the next set of interviews are dedicated to do just that. We want to look into the vast and beautiful mirror of local theologies around the world to help us liberate ourselves from white supremacy and violent theologies and ethnocentric approaches to God where we're like, we're at the back left of the elephant and this is how everybody should experience God. No, no. So we the peace, let's do this. Here are my four takeaways to begin building a Jesus-centered theology, a global theology. First, Embrace theology as a biblical narrative. God has been revealed in the person and work of Jesus. This revelation has been passed down chiefly through the written pages of the Christian scriptures. The word Jesus is revealed in the Bible. The Bible is this grand narrative claiming to answer life's most important questions about you, the world, our purpose, evil, and suffering. Ancient Near Eastern culture and early first century Jewish culture is narrative driven, not proposition driven. It isn't scientifically driven. It isn't guilt, innocence. It isn't time oriented. It It is event-oriented. It is honor-shame. It is narrative. We majority culture Christians must learn the Bible on its own terms as a story, as a book of ancient literature, not a system or a science of God. We Christians should be suspicious of theologies that turn God into a science or a system. Why? God is a person revealed in a story. When you are studying theology, always be asking yourself the question, how does this fit into the story of scripture? When you look across your bookshelf or discern what theologians to follow, take notice of how these teachers place their work into the story of God. Second, embrace theology as personal narrative. So much of the Bible communicates a theological position through the lived experiences and stories of those who follow God, especially those from the margins. The Exodus, the book of Ruth, Ezra, following Paul around as he's being chased, everything is rooted in narrative. Not only the scriptures, but our lives, our beliefs, our actions, our motives are rooted in story. So extend this sacred learning to the personal narratives of Christians around you. The stories of people are sacred. The interactions people have with God are sacred. We must consider the very practice of listening to and sharing our stories as theological in nature. 
if we limit theology to, quote, what we believe or, quote, what we know, we reject the lived truths and experiences of God's people that are embedded in our stories. If we do this, we are actually rejecting what the Bible shows and teaches us. When was the last time you were listening to the stories of your fellow human in order to develop your theology? Third, discern the impact of culture on the theology you are reading. This is key. Discern the author's culture, gender, social location as it relates to their theology. Discern the ways in which an author's culture, gender, or social location is impacting the theology that they're espousing. This trains you to spot blind spots and strengths from their theology. Where is their theology local to? What are the biases they bring? Let's say if they're like a rich white guy in the suburbs writing about the problem of evil. Unfortunately, very few majority culture theologians will discuss the way that their own culture has a positive or negative impact on their teaching. You will have to learn to do the work of discerning the blind spots of majority culture theologians because most of them just assume that these are normal Bible interpretation practices and everyone believes this and everyone assumes this fill in the blank, but it is not so. Begin to discern the impact of culture. Fourth, embrace orally transmitted theology. And this connects into number three. Have you considered that the majority of theology is passed not through writings, but through oral communication? That's how the vast majority of theology is transmitted, is shared around the world. You see, theology is created and shared while sitting on a couch, reclining at a kitchen table after a long week on the back deck of an apartment in the middle of an argument during a smoke break at work as a friend is breaking down in tears after a breakup and on the deathbed of elderly loved ones. We limit the work of God if we believe that someone has to be educated and published and have a PhD before they can speak theologically. That's nonsense. It's classist. It's ethnocentric. It's actually a vestige of white supremacy to say that you got to climb a white ivory tower before you can theologize. Are you listening to the theology of children? Are you listening to our elderly embrace orally transmitted theology? So that is a little starter kit to developing a global theology. Here are some takeaway questions for you this week. What are the strengths of your own local theology? What are the weaknesses of your own local theology? I want you to think about your people, the theology that you consider to be yours. Where is it local to? What are the strengths and the weaknesses? It's really important to begin to identify this. Otherwise, you're going to be blind by your part of the elephant. How can you begin to develop a global theology? So pick a part of the world and type into Google, for goodness sake, Caribbean theology, East African theology, Mexican theology, and 
what wherever else I'm not mentioning and see where God leads you. Explore in this digital moment global theologies. And if you have ears to hear, you're not going to be disappointed. Lastly, how can you diversify your bookshelf, your podcast intake, or how can you enter into a global village within the church that you attend? A book to read, Majority World Theology, Christian Doctrine in Global Context. That is a great starting point. The author's position, Majority World Theology, as outside North America, which is brilliant. And if you're interested in a specific part of the world, check out Global Dictionary of Theology. That's right. There's a book on this. Thank you for listening to this podcast, We the Peace. You can find more resources at madeforpax.org and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at PAX. Next week will be the start of some interviews for the season. I'm excited to continue this journey with you then. This is We the Peace. We the Peace.